Yeah, I would say that, you know, one hour a day during the week is, is kind of ideal. You know, you're, it keeps you from overdoing it during the week. So you have like maybe one or two days of intensity in those hours. And then you kind of got some recovery days between. So then you're kind of fresh for that, that long endurance ride on the weekend. So you can really get out, hit your endurance zones, get the maximum time in. And then the next week you're back. I think you're going to get a good base from that as well as some intensity during the week with that one hour. I, I think that's kind of an ideal working man's training plan. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast, powered by Ignition Coach Co. I'm your host, Adam Sabin, and today we're talking how to structure recovery intervals, planning endurance training while time crunched, bike setup for the War Daddy off-road race, and how to train for a virtual Everesting challenge. Today's show is also brought to you by Flow Formulas. With the race season in full swing, it's time to start dialing in your race day nutrition, and Flow has everything you need. Head over to flowformulas.com today and use the discount code IGNITIONPODCAST for 10% off your next order. They've got high-carb drink mixes, recovery powders, electrolyte replacements, and more. So head there today. And as always, if you like what you hear, please share this with your friends and leave us a five-star review. And if you have any questions for the show, send those to info@ignitioncoachco.com with email titled The Matchbox Podcast, or find us on Instagram and send us a direct message. All right, let's get into it. All right, sweet. We got we got a new uh, new voice on the podcast this week. Welcome, Blaine. What's going on? How's it going, Glad man? To be here. Yeah. So Blaine is a new coach with Ignition Coach Co. Just uh, wrapping up your yep. coaching training. Uh, sounds like that went well, and you'll be taking on some athletes starting pretty yeah, I soon. So. I gather, I'm right? Away. I'm ready. Okay. Cool. Um, Blaine, you are the better half. Oh. Well, <laughs> actually, she's probably the better half of you. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. Caitlin, Blaine, <laughs> you guys are together today. Um, Awesome to have both of you on. So we're going to start off this question. We we have a question specifically for Drew, but Drew's not here this week yet. So um, we're going to skip that one for right now. Yeah, he might pop in in a bit. Um, Okay, so this first one comes from Massimo, and he's asking about how to plan endurance volume into his week. So he says, hello, my question for the podcast is, how does spreading out your volume during the week matter? I am only able to do four to six hours of training on Saturdays and, and Sundays, um, two to three hours a week or two to three hours on Fridays. But during the work week, I am only able to do one hour a day. What does structuring a workout week look like when volume has to be loaded into such a short window? Thanks. So basically what he's saying is like, you know, say Monday through Friday, he's pretty time crunched. He can get, you know, maybe up to an hour of workouts in. And then on the weekends, he's got more free time. I would say this is pretty much across the board. Um, what most people their training schedule looks like, um, volume on the weekends. Yeah. So what is he asking? Yeah. So how do you, how do you, yeah. So how do you go about like scheduling someone's, you know, weekly structure if they can only do higher volume workouts on the weekends? Do you like try to cram all of the like endurance training in on the weekends or do you sprinkle in some like higher intensity stuff on those weekend days too? Um, I think it depends on what, block we're in of training. Um, but usually it's just enjoy the volume, um, on the weekends, not really, um, super structured, um, just because it is so structured and it has to be during the week. Um, yeah, I would say that, you know, one hour a day during the week is, is kind of ideal. You know, you're, it keeps you from overdoing it during the week. So you have like maybe one or two days of intensity in those hours. And then you kind of got some recovery days between, so then you're kind of fresh for that that long endurance ride on the weekend. So you can really get out, 
hit your endurance zones, get the maximum time in. And then the next week you're back to, you know, maybe Monday off recovery, you know, and then Tuesday workout, Wednesday, easy spin, Thursday workout. And then Friday, you can either do an easy spin, getting ready for the weekend, or maybe if you have time for two or three hours, you can kind of tack on some more endurance. And then Saturday, Sunday, you're right back into your long rides, you know, purely in that endurance zone. And I think you're going to get a good base from that, as well as some intensity during the week with that one hour. I, I think that's kind of an ideal working man's training plan. As always with these questions, there's still so many variables. So, um, like, what exactly is he training for? Is he training for longer events where... Um, I don't know, like longer road races where he's going to need to get familiar with efforts later on. So what I like to do is like, you know, two hours of endurance and then we hit your intervals later on. Um, that's something, like I said, would come later in your training. But yeah, there's a couple of Yeah. No, I, I like that you just said that there because typically that's how I would would like to structure like a you know, if we're trying to combine intensity and some endurance, um, it depends on the athlete and what they're training for. But um, sometimes if you put those efforts early on into like a, a long ride, uh, it kind of like messes with the the mitochondria. And then like the last two or three hours that are supposed to be endurance paced, your body's kind of like, mm-hmm. I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to be adapting to right now. So it it's not quite as effective as building like those uh, you know, aerobic capacity gains. So, um, I like the, I like doing the, the, the inverse better where you get a couple hours in and then sprinkle in some intensity towards the end, um, or just having a dedicated endurance day. You know, like if this, uh, if this scenario plays out like this, where, yeah, like Blaine said, you know, you can get your intensity sessions in during the week and then you have your weekend, you know, to just go out and do some joy rides or, um, unstructured endurance riding, then yeah, that's great. Cause then you can just, tack on as much volume as you're able to handle. Um, you know, I think pushing the envelope of like, you know, he, he says he's got four to six hours each day on Saturday and Sunday. Like I, th- I think you'd be maybe hard pressed to recover time. from that. If you're getting that much of a contrast between like your short workouts during the week and then like really long back to back workouts, but maybe kind of find a sweet spot where it's like, you know, you're doing three to four hours each day, or like you do one of those days yeah. where it's really long. Um, then the other day you're kind of active recovery or shorter endurance ride. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you guys both nailed it. Like this is, this is kind of the, the average working professionals structure to a T, you know, you've got minimal time during the week and then, you know, more ample time on the weekends. Yeah. But still so many options. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of options. And, and even for, for people out there who maybe don't have that four to six hour time window on the weekends either, you know, maybe you've only got hour, two hours, three hours at most, um, you can still get quite a bit from just doing those one hour workouts too. So don't think that like just doing a one hour workout during the week isn't going to be effective enough. Like still try and get those one hour workouts in because that's every time, you know, every extra 15, 20 minutes spent, whether it's on the trainer or outside, um, you know, that, that time accumulates over the course of a training block and then a season and then multiple seasons, you know, so the more, the more time you can spend on your bike, the better. So don't, don't miss out on those workouts just because you don't think they're adequate enough. Um, and I, I get into this mindset sometimes too, like where, you know, I've got a three hour workout planned and before I know it, I've only got a two hour time window and I'm just like, well, this workout's completely toast. Like, should I even go out for two hours? But it's like, no, like if you've only got two hours, like get those two hours in, you know, like still, it's still beneficial. So, um, yeah, if you've got up to an hour, 45 minutes, still hop on the trainer or whatever it takes to get get that workout done. 
Um, okay, so this next next question comes from James, and he's he's asking specifically about how to uh, structure recovery intervals. So he says, question for the podcast gang, I have so many recommendations for rest intervals between efforts. What is the appropriate time for resting between efforts during an interval session? Uh, should it be half the length of the effort, like 20 minutes on, 10 minutes off? Uh, should it be the entire duration of the of the effort? I know that rest is typically longer for VO2 max sessions. Uh, thanks for the que- answering the question. I've always enjoyed the podcast, James. Mm. I think this also depends on where you are in your training. Um, at the beginning, say if you're doing, just say like, I don't know, if you've just started your VO2s, um, you're going to want more rest in between than you would later on in that VO2 block. Um but, and then this also brings up the rabbit hole of like, what do I need to be strictly in zone one for my recovery? What happens if I'm doing a climb and, you know, my VO2 is like, I have this perfect six minute climbs and like, I need to turn around and descend, but I'm not doing any power because I'm descending and like the length of, you know, all these different, it brings up all these different questions. Um, I would jump in and say that like it would also really depend on what you're training for, you know? So if you're, if you're doing like crit racing or some kind of XC mountain biking where there's not a true recovery interval, you know, you're going to be on the power for whatever it is at VO two. And then now you're back down to like a tempo or a sweet spot, you know, and then you're going to be searching again on a climb. Well, you know, we're going to want to work you to be able to do that in training. So like Caitlin said, when you first start your VO twos, the recovery might be purely off easy and longer, but you know, as a coach getting in farther into your training, we're going to want to, you know, get you into these VO twos and then between either shorten the recovery interval or, you know, have you ride at like an actual endurance to tempo zone between so that you're maybe shedding a little bit of lactate, but you're also keeping the legs moving and that kind of power going. I think that's going to give you a pretty good stimulus for those kind of shorter uh, type races, you know, but again, it depends on what you're, you're trying to train for and what races you're going after. So that's where a coach kind of really comes in to help you decide what the best kind of VO2 workout with the recovery between is going to best benefit what you're trying to. Dylan just popped in. He'll have a uh, Yeah, totally. Spe- <laughs> speaking of coaching, yeah, the man himself, Dylan Johnson. Yeah, sorry, I'm late. Finally made it. <laughs> All good. So we're, we're answering a question uh, regarding recovery intervals. So the time spent between intervals during an mm-hmm. interval training session. Um, the question was specifically like, how do you, how do you determine what those recovery interval times should be? Yeah. Um, so this, yeah, this can get, I mean, essentially what the trade-off here is the interval qualities will be higher if the recovery time is longer. Um, but you, the longer the recovery period, the less you're working on your repeatability. So, um, for example, if you were, if you were training for like, let's just throw an example out there, VO two max intervals. If you are training VO two max intervals, because you're training for, let's say a road race that is going to end with a five minute climb. And that is the race deciding climb of the race this one five minute climb, then you may want to make your recovery intervals a bit longer because you only have to do a five minute max effort once in that race. 
Um, now a lot of road races are not like that. A lot of road races, you have to actually do these efforts back to back to back to back. So just keep that in mind, but I, this is just a hypothetical that I'm throwing out here. So you may want to, so in, if that is, if that's what you're training for, you may want to make your recovery intervals longer to, uh, make sure that each interval is as high a quality as it can possibly be versus maybe you're training for a mountain bike race or even a road race or, or whatever, where you're going to have multiple five minute climbs back to back to back to back, uh, in pretty short succession, then you may want to make the recovery interval shorter so that you're working on your repeatability and you're getting ready for, for that type of racing. Um, basically what what's happening in your body when you're making the recovery intervals shorter versus longer is the shorter the recovery interval is the more lactate you're already going to have uh in your system when you're starting your next interval versus the longer it is the less lactate you'll have when you're starting your next interval um and obviously making the recovery period shorter makes that next interval harder because you're already starting with a certain amount of lactate in your system yeah, and, and and Caitlin, like you mentioned this too, but it, it does depend on where you're at in your training as well, because part of what we're doing with training is trying to teach your body how to buffer that lactate, how to process it and get it out of the system. So if you're really early on into your training, um, you just might not be able to, like it might take your body longer to, to be able to do this during that recovery period. Um, but if you're doing the same type of workout for the same intended reason a month later, uh, you might be able to re- reduce that that recovery time and get the same benefits out of it because your body's uh, more adapted to buffering that that lactate that's built up during the the high intensity session or the intervals during that session. Yeah, mm-hmm. and as a coach, um, I would say I would put you know the workout with less recovery in later in the block when I feel like it's not going to be um, it, it's going to be more possible for the athlete to finish that. Right. Because if you start off this training block and you're failing, you know, quote unquote, failing these workouts, you know, you have to bring in the mental side of things. And so it's not, you know, going to set the tone for the, for that training block, um, on a high note. So different athletes can handle that, but if you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And, and as coaches, it's important for us to, to, to give our athletes a little bit of insight into what we're trying to do with that training session. Um, because there might be a, a situation where, you know, we put in there, you know, let's say it's four by eight lactate threshold uh, intervals. And the goal here is to try and hit just above your lactate threshold for all eight or for all four of those intervals. Um, so typically for a workout like that, I'll put in there, like we want to, we want to fully recover between the intervals. So whether that takes six minutes to 10 minutes, you know, give yourself enough time to recover so that you can hit those higher intensity, you know, and get that power above threshold for all eight minutes. Um, whereas another workout, like let's say we're trying to work on repeatability, it, you know, it's like, I want that, I want that recovery to be shortened. So even if you're not hitting above lactate threshold, that's not the goal. The goal is to, to just get right back into it and, you know, slam your body with, with more lactate and, and kind of force your body to recover faster. Um, so even if you're not hitting above lactate threshold, that's okay because the intention of the workout is to work on repeatability. We're not necessarily trying to hit that certain power uh, number for that duration. Sweet. Yeah. Drew, welcome. Thank you. How long, how long have you guys been recording? 
we, we've been on for 15 minutes so far, and it's a good thing Drew came on because the next question is specifically right. geared towards you. This guy's been waiting a month at least since I haven't been on the podcast in like so long. Yes. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, it's been so long that I don't even have their name written down. But anyways, it's, it's specifically about a race. Uh, so they say, what's up, guys? Huge fan of the podcast and really digging the talk each week. Uh, my question is for Dillman. I noticed on Dizzle's YouTube videos that he has a cool award in the background that says War Daddy. I've recently been seeing a lot of buzz on social media about this race, and I'm wondering what your wow. thoughts are on bike and tire choice for this event, since it looks like you won it a few years ago. The course looks like a bit of a big mix of different surfaces from pavement, gravel, and chunky trails. Uh, keep up the great work. Yeah, um, he's he's pretty spot on. That's a very tricky race to figure out what bike to do it on um i I already have the perfect bike for it i think most people would say a full suspension mountain bike because of just how like how rough the terrain is but it's not you're not riding mountain bike trails it's like you're riding back country atv trails that are just like blown to shreds um like not not even fun like i know that sounds terrible (laughs) And I'm pretty sure the promoter does this on purpose. Like, it's just the most rugged, brutal conditions, like trail. Like, it's just hard. It is a lot of climbing. It's a lot of gravel climbing. So the climbs aren't that bad. It's usually, it's a lot of like gravel road climbing. The first big climb feels like you're going up somebody's driveway. That's how little these roads are. You're going past like, shacks in the middle of the woods because you're in the middle of like nowhere kentucky which is like true kentucky which i'm not from i'm from kentucky but i'm not from true kentucky this is like you meet some people in the gas station and you hear what kentucky people sound like and you're like this we're in kentucky now uh and so the guy who puts on this race john maggard grew up in this little town hide in kentucky and uh so that's why the race happens there and uh, it's a super cool event. It's very, very like when you guys say grassroots gravel, this is like, if there was something beyond grassroots, that's what this race is. But it's like the, one of the coolest vibes. Like when I did it, the year I did it, it started with a shotgun, you know, like, <laughs> but, but not the kind of shotgun that you guys just thought there was a redneck on the start line and he shotgunned a beer. And then we, that's when we went, <laughs> like you guys thought I'm in oh, a gun. There we go. That seems normal. Yeah. But this was even one step further. And they had like a guy on a four wheeler, like leading nice. me, like, cam- like with the, and he had his camera out and stuff. And well, cause I was Just leading you? the race. No if somebody else was leading, I'm sure they would have been <laughs> getting video of them. So, um, so Drew, didn't you win it on, so that's what I was going to say is I, I didn't have a mountain bike at the time. Uh, my mountain bike was showing up literally like the very next week. So I had to do it on my gravel bike and I did it on like, this was before like even big tires. I think I did it on like cyclocross tires, like maybe 33s or maybe 38s. I might've had some 38s. Um, so not a, not a beefy like setup. But it, it allowed me to go a lot faster on the climbs, and there were, like, a few paved sections, but not a lot. Um, but I lost a lot of time on the downhills. I might not have won, but the guy who got second double-flatted his mountain bike on one of the descents. Mm-hmm. And so I buzzed past him, um, and, and he never caught back up. So um, if that hadn't happened, I feel like maybe – so that's how, that's how rocky and tough it is. Like, he double-flatted his mountain bike. And I was like going so timid down the wow. downhills that I didn't flat my gravel 
bike. So I would say do it on a full spin on bike. Mm. Okay, you're making me think that a full suspension mountain bike is the better option now. But before that whole spiel, because I haven't done the race. I, I think the sweetest bike would be the, um, what is it, the MCR. Uh, the Niner MCR, the Magic like Carbon full, sus- full, full suspension full gravel suspension bike. Gravel all bike. right, that's all right, like all right. the best of both, I guess. What about full suspension, or uh, what about drop bar mountain bike? Like the drop bar hardtail. Yeah, you could probably get away with it because there's nothing real technical about the course. Um, yeah. There's only like a few little, a few little uh, single track sections. And I mean, and I was on my drop bike bar last time and I felt fine. Knowing, knowing what I know about the War Daddy course, and I'm not going to do it uh, this year, unfortunately. They've been trying to get me to come to that race, but... During the year of COVID, before me and Dylan had started Ignition, or maybe it was the year we were talking about Ignition... We were going to go and do it together, and it was going to be this big duel between... Because I had won it on year one in 19, and then they convinced Dylan to come in 2020, and me and him were going to... And I was, like, nervous. I'm like, oh, man, he's going <laughs> he's gonna to crush me. And, but luckily, it got canceled, so we never had to... Uh, we never had to duke it out with the War Daddy. <laughs> yeah. No, knowing what I know about that race, I think the bike that I would bring for it is my drop bar hardtail. Yeah, that's probably not a bad setup as well. A lot of okay. people do it on full suspensions, yeah. Would that be the, like, gravel fork on that hardtail, or would you go full, like, 100 mil travel? I don't know, Drew. Do what like, do you think? Gra- like, gravel fork or mm, 100 mil yeah, travel mountain bike you're fork? You're probably asking the wrong guy. I don't... I, uh... <laughs> okay. Because that know gravel suspension fork is, what, 30 or 40 mil a travel? Yeah. Mm. So the other thing yeah. about that is that when the gravel fork no. is on there, it steepens the head tube quite a bit. It, it steepens the head tube to the point that it's the head tube is about as steep as a normal gravel bike versus a normal mountain bike. So it feels more like a gravel bike when it's got that fork on it. And also, I know he mentioned the the little plaque from the race, but there's a uh, traveling there's a traveling trophy as well. The winner of the War Daddy gets an army helmet, like an old school <laughs> army helmet that's been custom painted for Sick. War Daddy. So I signed. I sign the back of it, and then whoever wins it every year will sign the sign the the helmet, and then you get to keep it, and then bring it back the next year or whatever, or mail it back. Wow! Do you, have you guys heard of the Barkley? Oh, I'm oh, curious. Yeah. What is that? I uh, nobody even finishes it. Sounds, it. it sounds the, just all like I know this is that it's this somewhat big event, and nobody finishes it. Like, what's the <laughs> why doesn't why doesn't anybody finish it? it it's supposed to be like one of the hardest, like uh, I don't know, trail or ultra yeah, marathon there's races. An element of, running. There's um, an element of mountaineering to it, so there, it's crazy. You got you, watch the documentary; you won't regret it. Um, so there are these five. On it's crazy. These no, I think it's on Netflix. It might be on, it's YouTube. on YouTube too. Yeah. Um, there are these five books, which are your five checkpoints. Oh, I started this. Okay, big, okay, I started this documentary, and I was like, "This is really intriguing," but I wasn't able to finish it. Whatever bib number you get corresponds to the page of the book that you have to tear out. And each loop you do, you have to get to Mm. all of these five books, tear out your page, and you bring them back to the race director. And that's how he knows that you made it. They drop the coordinates, I guess, that morning of where the books are. And you have to figure out how to get there with no modern technology, just like a map. And you have a a compass. And I think that's it. Mm -hmm. But they're literally Um, like marathons apart from one another. Like I have to no, run a marathon to this book, marathon. run a marathon yeah, like, to this book, run a marathon to this book. 
Yeah, it's like it's like a hundred mile race. I don't know. Maybe it's maybe this race isn't quite. I still don't quite understand how it kind of sounded like that when you were talking about it. Finish. I don't know, man. You should you should do it next year just to show like I can finish this race. Oh my! This is definitely the Dunning Kruger effect. This is absolutely the Dunning Kruger effect. Oh yeah, I can run a hundred miles. I hope we have some runners listening that will just like sign up for it anonymously. Oh my gosh. Okay, let's move on to the next question yeah. before we get. This is why this is why this podcast is so much longer when Drew's on. Hey, but it's better, <laughs> longer and better. Yeah, come on. Okay, we got one more. This is a good one. So this one comes from John, and he's asking about training for a virtual next Everesting. question. <laughs> uh, <he> said, <laughs> oh come he on! He says. Uh, my goal is to complete a virtual Everesting challenge using the Full Gas website and my smart trainer. I am 65 years old and my FTP is 190 watts. My first attempt resulted in 16 hours of riding over 24 hours. He took a five-hour nap. Um, he completed seven of the eight stages and averaged 125 watts for approximately 25,000 feet. Oh, that dude, is, you were so close. What? How do you uh, stop at 25,000? He I don't know. He says he, he did not. Time. He did not complete the eighth stage because no. he thought he ran out of time. So his questions are: What level of high of weekly high intensity intervals should be advised, and should the bulk of his training be uh, training rides eighty percent be at one hundred twenty five watts? Because that's what his his average watts were for the the race last year. So basically, how how should he train yeah. for this? I mean, so first this of is, all, John, you got some you got some loose screws, dude. Who wants to do an Everest on their trainer? Come on, that sounds miserable. Oh, so I, I'll be honest, like I'm not familiar man. with Everesting on the trainer. Do you turn around and coast on the downhill? Like, what what's the deal there? Mm. Or do That's you just question. or do you just continuously or you just climb? Do you continuously climb? I mean, yeah, somebody could probably feet. like actually just put the Everest mountain on virtual and you just ride up you just ride, ride up, up Swift Everest. Yeah. yeah. I would think that you would climb yeah. and then turn around and send like a traditional Everest. You would do the the same climb over and over yeah. until you get to the twenty nine thousand whatever feet. I'm not familiar with full gas, but I know that like Zwift, people do it on there all the time. The up to Zwift and, and they, they have to turn around climb to the top. They turn around and coast down. Yeah. And then uh. flip around and go back up again. I don't know how many times. Too many times. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So it sounds like there's like a there's like an, an actual official course for virtual mm. efforting with this full gas mm. uh, website. Each each course has uh four hundred some meters of climbing or something like that. All right. So this is I mean, whether you turn around and come back down or not, this is a this is like a ultra distance type effort. Um and in that case, you know, you want high intensity in your training, but it's it's way less important than somebody training for, I don't know, a crit or a cyclocross or something. Like you the quality of your high intensity efforts is less important than somebody doing a higher intensity event, if that makes sense. And and essentially what that means is that you can um you can have a higher volume of training. And in fact, that's preferred to have a higher volume of training for such a high volume event, even if it's going to take away a little bit from your ability to perform these intervals at the highest quality that you possibly can. That's not, that's not the number one goal of your training. The number one goal of your training, I would, I would say be volume. 
In regard to the number that he mentioned, 125 with an FTP of 190, that puts it that that 125 would be 65% of his FTP, which yeah, I don't think is very productive, right? I mean, you'd want to Well, do, I mean, that's so I would say train. yeah, but I so, would say ride, I if you can ride at that if you can ride at 125 for 8 hours, then yeah. But I think also, you know, I don't Well, well I don't, here's the thing about that. I wouldn't do intervals at that intensity because that's not really that's right not right. Really an interval not i would do yeah. but that is that's his zone too and that's what he's going to do 80 per 80 percent or more of his training at so yes yeah. ride a lot at that intensity the intervals that you sh- you do should be higher intensity than that because that, that's not that's not an interval and that's not intensity if you're riding at 65 you percent. Know i was getting my numbers mixed up in my head I, Sorry, I was thinking about something else. Did you do the math there. wrong? I no, didn't. I, I thinking, didn't do. I don't the know math why. Wrong. I don't know why, but in my head, I thought of one sixty-five. I was thinking of a one sixty-five heart rate. I, well, you know, you got a calculator things. in your phone right here. So yeah, it's sixty-five point nine. <laughs> yeah, I already did it. It's sixty-five percent. Yes. Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. So I mean, that's like smack in the middle of zone two. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I agree. So yeah, he would be doing a lot of time at 125, and then when he does intervals, it should be well over that. Yeah, I would say in addition to the yeah yeah, I mean in in it. Right, I would I'll say in ahead. addition to yeah, your sorry. training, uh, this much time spent on a bike on a trainer, like you want your your fit right on. Their saddle mm-hmm. needs to be perfect. I mean, I've been known to do some long trainer rides, and you know it's just not the same as being outside. You know, you get that saddle fatigue really quickly. So if you have a plan of like, you know, sometimes you spend five minutes in the saddle and then get out of the saddle for 30 seconds, that just can help alleviate that pressure, which I know is like a short interval. You know, you're doing the same power, but moving around and being really uh, proactive on moving on the bike in the early stages is going to help you from getting that type of fatigue, you know, that saddle fatigue where you're not moving around very much on the trainer like you would outside. So I think you know, beyond the training of that, and then, you know, your, your nutrition for something this long, switching up the type of foods you're eating. I, I don't know what, uh, caused him to stop the first time. Was there any info in the, in the question on like what, what his limiting factor was? Yeah. It just says he, he okay. thought he ran out yeah. of time. So it sounds like he could have maybe, maybe finished it mm-hmm. if he had more time. Is there a time limit that you need to do it in? Like you have 24 hours, you have to 24, do it 24 hours, man. So if he had just like cut some yeah. time off of his nap that he took, he could have finished it. Sounds easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why didn't, why didn't you just yeah. take a shorter, um, why didn't you just nap for three hours and keep riding for the other uh, 20, 20, one hours come on yeah. man. i mean so what i will say well, about that because we're we're, we're not going to condone that well, well, well what i behavior though. what i was gonna sarcastic. say sleep as much I, as what you I was, well i'm almost not being sarcastic here because what i was going to say is that we're getting into the territory of like 24 hour racing right and 24 hour racing is a category mm-hmm. of racing that exists i guess both virtually and not virtually so you know i'm i'm not i guess i'm not suggesting that you shouldn't take a nap if you're feeling really tired but what very successful 24-hour racers do is that they race the entire 24 hours they don't sleep um and is that the healthiest thing to do no but it is completely possible to race for 24 hours without sleep so our guy should just go till he gets the everest and then take his nap I, that's, so what, that's what that's what i do if you want to make so, sure if you want to make sure you make it so I, I did i I, I did read up on the rules okay. here a little bit while you guys were talking. Um, and 
there's a lot of rules I, and it's kind of interesting. So one of the, one of the things is you have to do it on the same climb and you have to, you have to do the full climb each time. You can't like decide halfway through the climb. One of the, those times that you want to just like turn around and like get some more rest. Like you have to complete the climb each time. And then you also have to descend that climb. So the cool thing with virtual training is that it says that you can like get off your mm. trainer while your avatar is like descending back down. It's so, like it just navigates nice. itself back to the start line. Um, it says if you're doing a longer one, like Alp de Zwift is around a 10 minute descent, which that's a long time. Um, and then RGT, I don't know what that is, but their Stelvio climb is a 15 minute descent. So every single time you complete one of these bigger climbs, you, you might have 10 or 15 minutes yeah. break in between. What do you guys think about that strategy? Like, would you, Dylan, I mean, with your experience with 24-hour racing, would you rather, like, climb for two hours and then have Dylan's a 10 or 15-minute break? Hour race. Or would you rather, about? like... I've done one. Oh, dang it. <laughs> so that's not... Okay. It's not, it's yeah, not a did, lot of experience. I knew you did at least but, one. Yeah. <laughs> but would you rather, like, do shorter climbs and then have shorter recoveries in between or one of these longer climbs? Uh, I don't know that I would get off the bike for fifth. Well, I mean, it's, I guess maybe get off the bike for 30 seconds or a minute to just stretch out and take a break. But I think that if you're taking a 15 minute break, then when you start that next climb, your legs are going to feel real dead. Uh, like I would almost just sit on, Mm -hmm. I would, I would stretch out for 30 seconds to a minute, get back on the bike and then just soft pedal at like 50 Watts or something. Um, cause I think, I think otherwise every start, of the climb, your legs are going to feel like garbage. So the guy that has the Everstein world record in real life, he did a shorter climb. I think it was like between five and 10 minutes and it was only like a 90 second to two minute descent. Mm -hmm. And the, the strategy there is you want a shorter climb that's steeper so that the, you're going less distance. Yeah. So I, I I looked at, I looked, I looked into Everesting in real life, not virtually a little bit. Um, and if you're going for a record, the steeper, the better. You want it to be as steep as possible. And a lot of times when you're looking at these super steep segments, it's not steep for that long. So they end up being short regardless. But I think I think also um, they were saying that, you know, it's it's probably a little bit easier physiologically if it's a shorter effort over and over again, as opposed to a long effort. Yeah. Yeah. So so if you did mm-hmm. Alp de Zwift... Uh, you would need to do that eight and a half times. So over the course of 24 hours, I mean, that's like, that's like over two hours each, each time probably yeah. then. That seems too long. So you, you could, Find a short I guess, climb. I guess you could yeah. do it that on a much intense. shorter climb. <laughs> yeah. I would probably pick a shorter climb than that. Two hours is quite long. Maybe, maybe mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now this, per- this person isn't going for a record. They're just trying to complete it. Right. So I mean, correct. I yeah. don't think you need in 24 hours like a five minute climb, but maybe try to look for, I don't know, a 10 minute, a 15 minute climb. And then the rest period's not as long. Uh, it's probably what I'd do. Yeah. Yeah. And that way, you know, like that way you're not trying to figure out what to do with that mm-hmm. recovery time. You know, like maybe you don't need the recovery. So, you, you know, you don't want to just spin for an extra 15 minutes. If it's minutes if it's not going to count towards anything. Um, so, yeah, maybe a two-minute descent. Like, I, I would kind of plan it around what, what type of recovery you'd want between. You can find a climb that you've got, like, a two-minute descent, which is enough time to hop yeah. off and go to the bathroom or refill yeah. your bottle or 
taking a break for 10 to 15 minutes does not seem like a good idea to me. Uh, Taking a break for a minute or two. That's that sounds like a solid plan. Yeah. So I know we said we, you know, spend a lot of time, uh, you know, at that close to, you know, 125 Watts, um, which is approximately what he averaged during this last ride. Um, But, you know, given the fact that he has to complete this within 24 hours and last time he ran out of time, I would also, John, work on trying to increase your I, FTP I, if you if you can, assuming you're not at, I, at I, yeah, the ceiling uh, there. Obviously, but I would I would also say that you if he did it at 125 uh, watts and he took a five hour nap, it's not. I don't know why he felt like he needed the nap <laughs> if he was just so sleepy, like he was falling up falling asleep on the bike, or if he was so tired, or or you know his legs were physically tired. But it's almost like you could just bump the the wattage down a little bit down to like 115 or you know 110 or something and just don't take a nap i'm actually Mm -hmm. that's actually my solution here don't take a nap don't take a nap (laughs) in between just do the whole thing and and uh you know i you're gonna get sleepy maybe you maybe you start your caffeine late uh instead of starting caffeine if if you do caffeine um, that's one thing that I did when I did a 24 hour race is I didn't start doing caffeine until it got dark. Um, so, you know, yeah. And, and I would also like, since you can, like, since it's not like a, a planned race, you can do it whenever I would maybe start later mm-hmm. in the evening. That way you kind of get through the, the night while you're like still pretty yeah. early on and kind of fresh. Um, and then you like use the daytime during the next day to like help. Yeah. When the sun comes up the next day, your circadian rhythm will kick in and you'll almost get this like second wind that you didn't have at 3 a.m. I mean, we just did 24 hop in. It's the same thing. When that sun comes up, you feel like a new person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So maybe you like start at midnight that you can get your five hour nap in before you start. Yeah. I would try to get in as much sleep the day before this thing and then start it at night and don't sl- don't sleep until you're done. Yep. Yeah, and let us know how it goes, John. This is this is fun. I I I had I didn't know anything about virtual everything until I looked it up. You're going to do so one now? Cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to do it. So, nope. No. 3 yeah, hours I, on the trainer is like my limit. If there was like a if if I could climb whatever 8500 meters in 3 hours, sure, but I don't think I that's would do possible. a real Everest, uh like outdoor Everest. In fact, I thought about doing an outdoor Everest during covid but i just never ended up doing it did you have your climb picked out yeah i would do an outdoor one That'd yeah i was actually scoping out climbs um the one that i picked the effort was just so short it was like a 60 second climb and a you know i don't know probably 20 second descent but it was super steep and you could get an everest done in like 65 miles or something which is ridiculous oh, yeah mm. yeah short. yeah yeah that's I, I had picked out a climb here like it's it's basically like in my neighborhood and it's like the same thing it's like a 60 mm-hmm. or 70 second climb but it would it would it would have required like 200 and yeah, yeah same. Laps it was or it was the same ridiculous. for this one it was a ridiculous number of laps but the you want the mile for anybody who's like trying to do a fast everest you want the total mileage which basically means the climb needs to be steeper you want the total mileage to be as short as possible which means you need the climb to be as steep as possible. Yeah. And and you want it to be as uh, yeah. straight as possible too. That way like when you're descending you're not having to like hit mm-hmm. the brakes and slow down. Yeah. What's the um but yeah, probably not going to do that anytime either. Anytime. Records either. like 6 hours something. 
640 or 650, something like that. Well, in 2021, it was 648 or no, yeah, 640. I don't, Sorry, I don't think it's 40. I don't think it's been broken since then because oh, people kind of people kind of stopped caring about it. it's by this Irish man. Then if this is correct, it's Ronan, Ronan McLaughlin, McLaughlin, 2021, 640, 54. Yeah, you should, you should check out all the bike yeah. mods that he did for that. Um, is pretty oh, fast because obviously weight lightest. matters a lot for Everesting, but also you turn around and come back down at a very high speed. So aerodynamics also matters. So he went full nerd weight weenie and full nerd arrow weenie on the same setup. Yeah. It looks like he had like a TT bike that he like hacked up. Yeah. yeah I, you guys I think can't... Dylan is a March on Gaines oh. nerd. This guy goes next level. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Dude. Yeah. And this, this climb he did it on is like straight as yep. an arrow too. Wow. What are you going to do? You, Drew, is that going to be 2024 goal for you? Barclays Marathon and Everesting really record? intrigue me now. No, the Barclays the Marathons definitely <laughs> intrigues me a bit more. Just sounds a lot more fun. Fun? Oh my gosh. Yeah, there's going to be some runner in here that just tears you apart for that. It, is it's this guy gnarly. like, is, is this guy like, <laughs> like legit? Like, is he race? Who is he? What is this guy? Yeah, he, he lives in, uh, where does he live? UK? Says Irish man. Yeah, yeah, like he, that. yeah. I mean, he. I think he's sort of an X racer now, but he used to be a. I think maybe domestic level pro road racer in his day. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It says he was a former pro road racer and coach. I think he. I think he works for like cycling. Okay, trips or well that's like enough. That. Oh well, then he. That's where I'm reading this. Yeah. That's where I'm reading this. <laughs> tech, tech, yeah, tech writer. Anyway, cycling yep. tips. Um, okay, we're, we're off the rails. We need to. We need to wrap this up. <laughs> well, thanks, guys. We'll uh, we'll get to more yep. questions next week, but that was fun. Blaine, thanks for coming on, man. All right, folks. Thanks for tuning in for the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast. Like I said at the beginning, you can send any questions or topic suggestions to info at ignitioncoachco.com with email title, the Matchbox Podcast. Links to each of our social media pages can be found in the show notes. Tune in next week for another endurance training-related discussion and learn about how you can find that extra match for your next big event. Catch y'all soon. Let's go. I've never driven a rally car before, but I'd imagine there are a lot of similarities between racing rally cars and racing bikes. Both involve speed, skill, and suspense. But one big difference is the navigator. The navigator's job is to communicate with the driver what turns are coming up, the severity of those turns, and any obstacles to look out for on course. With the help of the navigator, the driver goes faster. As athletes, we too need a navigator. This is where the coach comes into the picture. Like the navigator, the coach helps guide the athlete along the right path. When it's all said and done, the coach helps the athlete go faster. To take the analogy one step further, I'd bet the best navigators are those who used to drive themselves. Because of their own experience behind the wheel, they're better equipped to help the driver. This is what Ignition Coach Co. is all about. All of our coaches are elite-level racers, and that makes them better coaches. They know how to train, how to prep, how to win, how to lose, and how to stay focused through it all because they are in the midst of that pursuit right now. 
Here at Ignition Coach Co., we believe that coaching and racing go hand in hand, and it's our goal to fuse those two things together. We'd love to connect you with one of our coaches. Sign up for a free consultation today. Ignition Coach Co., developing coaches, connecting athletes.